It's good to be with you today. Happy Palm Sunday. We are one week from Easter, right? Next week is Easter Sunday. Uh, as John mentioned, we're doing a, a little orientation for anybody that's interested in baptism directly after the service. So we'll kind of meet up in this area maybe. But looking forward to actually filling that tank and, uh, and actually uh, celebrating new life. Um, as, as we said, we haven't done that in a while, so it would be good to get back to it. Um, in the meantime, we are uh, at the very end of our series through Luke. We've been in Luke since January, traveling with Jesus along the way towards Jerusalem and the cross, and, uh, and looking at all these stories and teachings about how Jesus opens the way for outsiders, even as He challenges those who assume that they were insiders. Uh, so we've been looking at, at story after story after story that breaks down all of our categories uh, for how God operates and how God's love works in, uh, in communities and in society. And today we're going to look at the story of a man that breaks every assumption that we have about what the kingdom of God looks like. It's a, a story that maybe you've heard before. So we're going to be in Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. And uh, as, I'm, as I said, this is a story about Jesus subverting our expectations about the kingdom of God. Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Some of you are all like humming the, the, the kid's tune in your mind. Even now, I can hear it just brewing. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 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 here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save lost. Uh, now, I mentioned this already, but um, this, this journey that we've been on with Jesus towards Jerusalem, he has over and over again enacted good news for the outsiders, for the poor, for the disabled, for the marginalized, for the forgotten. And today's passage, it focuses on a man who is exactly zero of those things. He is, however, a wee little man. A wee little man was he. See, I knew it. I knew you'd do it. I, you can't help yourselves. Who climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Friends, this story, though, is it's, it's not just for children and wee little men. This story is for us, too. And so we proclaim the good news today that right in the midst of our tragic entanglements with systems of injustice. Jesus seeks us out. 
He stays with us and He saves us. Right in the midst of our mess, liberating us from our bondage to these things and reconciling us to God and each other in embodied solidarity as we simply take the next step of faith. Jesus is coming to our house today, friends. Let us receive Him and allow Him to reveal the way of salvation. Amen? Jesus is upending, overturning people's assumptions about the kingdom of God. He does this all the way through. We, we, we all have palms in our hands today. And Palm Sunday is a, is, a, is a reflection of how Jesus subverts our expectations. People laid down these palms before Jesus riding through Jerusalem on a donkey because they expected Him to be coronated as a king that week. They expected Him to kick out the Roman government and to reestablish the rule of God in the temple of Jerusalem to, to make Israel great again. And He doesn't do any of those things. By the weekend, He is coronated not on a throne, but on a cross. He doesn't take up arms against Rome. He dies by their hand. And this, we're told, is what God had planned from the very beginning. This is God's kingdom come on earth. I mean, talk about subverting expectations, right? Talk about not meeting our assumptions about what God is going to do and what God is going to look like when He comes. And so here, again, is another story that fits into that same mold. That same idea. We've seen patterns, though, throughout Luke. We've seen patterns about how Jesus works and who comes to Jesus when He comes to town. And one of the patterns that's emerged so far, have you noticed it? Is that those, the wealthy and those that have power, do they tend to respond well to Jesus or not so well? Not so well, right? Who does respond well? I've already mentioned a few of them. Who tends to respond well to Jesus in His message? Sinners, yeah. Those that know their own sin? Who else? If not the wealthy, then who? The poor. The poor find great solace in Jesus. Those that are marginalized by their community. Those that are ostracized and, and labeled, mislabeled as being problems to society. Those that don't feel like they belong. But those who are in charge, those who lead, those who rule, and those who are wealthy, not so much, right? They don't, they don't respond so well. So who do we have here? At the end of our journey, we have Zacchaeus, who is a wealthy ruler of sorts. A chief tax collector. Not just any tax collector, but a chief tax collector who is regarded by his community as a sinner. I mean, this is a brilliant move by Luke if he is orchestrating the way that these stories are going along. Because just when we are ready to set up a new rule about who's in and who's out, just when, we're, when we think we have nailed it down about who has access to God and who doesn't, Luke throws us like an enormous curveball. He includes a character whose intersectionality breaks every category. So Zacchaeus' life is... It's at the intersection of so many forces that you can't pin him down to one category. And the audience would be wondering, like, how in the world is this guy going to respond to Jesus? 
Is he going to shut himself off or is he going to open himself up? And so Luke brilliantly pulls the rug out from every formula that we have by which we think that we can add up people's status before God. He frustrates every attempt to divide our world into one-dimensional good guys and bad guys. So, um, a, a little bit of background on Zacchaeus. It says that he was a chief tax collector. So, as a chief tax collector, he would have been uh, the person who hires other tax collectors or toll collectors who would sit in booths, like the one that we saw in the previous story that David talked about last week. And, and those toll collectors would collect taxes from their particular locality for the Roman Empire. So Zacchaeus is like middle management for Rome's like colonial pyramid scheme. He's the one who's collecting from these toll collectors, but he's not at the top of the chain, and he's not at the bottom. He's somewhere in the middle. But he's wealthy, which means that he has gotten his wealth both from the destitution of people who often had to choose between paying their taxes and eating that week, and he's made money off the underlings who sit in toll booths collecting taxes and bearing the brunt of the people's animosity towards Rome. So he's a little like, you know, have you ever bought a used car and the salesman's like, oh, i got to go check with my sales manager, but you never see the sales manager, <laughs> Right? He's just at some desk like back behind a wall somewhere, but he seems to be pulling all the strings. And you're like, can I just talk to that guy? Because he seems to be the one that could make a deal. So Zacchaeus does his job for a cut of stolen wealth. Make no mistake about it. The wealth he gets is wealth that he is stealing from his own countrymen. See, Zacchaeus is a Jewish name. These are his own people. But because of his profession, Zacchaeus also finds himself caught between a rock and a hard place. And so on the one hand, he's, he's underneath this system of oppressive taxation that's hurting people, and he's complicit in it. But on the other hand, he needs to make a living somehow. And he's good at his job, apparently. He needs to put food on his table for his family. In other words, Zacchaeus is like a lot of us. He's like many of us in many ways, tangled up in systems that exploit and do injustice in ways that he probably regrets and wishes he could make different. I mean, nobody sets out to be hated by their community. I don't care who you are. But he probably sees no other way to make it in first century Jericho. So it just is the way it is. That is until Jesus comes to town. When Jesus comes to town, we learn that Zacchaeus is not content with this situation. He's not happy about it. He is a man on a quest. And so he finds out, or he wants to find out who this Jesus is, to see him for himself, because he's heard the things that he's heard about Jesus, and this has given him a glimpse, of, a glimpse of hope. Maybe there's a way out of this bondage that I find myself in. Maybe if I can just see who this man is on his way through town, things could be different. Maybe I would be accepted back into my community. And so he goes through these extraordinary lengths 
doing things that would be considered shameful for any Jewish man to do, let alone somebody who is a wealthy ruler of sorts. So he runs ahead of the crowd, right? We talked about how Jewish men tend not to run and what that would look like when they hike up their togas or robes to do so. He climbs up in a tree because he really, really wants to see who Jesus is. And so Zacchaeus, up in this tree, hoping to find Jesus, ends up finding that Jesus is finding him. He wants to see Jesus, and he finds himself being seen by Jesus. How unexpected. And Jesus calls him by name and tells him to come down immediately because it's important, imperative, necessary that I come to your house today. So Jesus is announcing in front of everybody his intention to forge a relationship with Zacchaeus in the context of the good news of the kingdom. He's saying, we need to have a business meeting about the kingdom of God today. And so Zacchaeus responds joyfully. He says, I'd love to. Come on over. I I want to know who you really are. And so Zacchaeus accepts Jesus' invitation and he welcomes him into his home. He displays an eagerness to the message of Jesus. And this eagerness does not sit well with his community, does it? They're not happy about this. Because Luke says in verse 7, all the people saw this, and what do they do? They begin to mutter. Now that word mutter is not a good word. They say he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. That word mutter is the same word that we saw the Pharisees doing when Jesus confronted them about their love of wealth. They muttered at Jesus. And now this community is doing the same thing because of Jesus' action towards this one man. And it's all because he's honoring this notorious sinner. He's sharing a table with him. I can only imagine like the, the people are like, this prophet is from God. He's been doing miraculous healings and announcing the kingdom. And he's only passing through our little community for a little while. Like, can you imagine if Jesus was only in your town for a day? All the things that you would love for him to do, that you've heard him do in other places. And yet, instead of doing those things like healing the sick and multiplying food, like he's done in town after town after town, he's going to spend his precious little time with this guy who is this traitor who's fleecing us on Rome's behalf. Are you kidding me? He could be spending his time with us and he's spending it hobnobbing with a rich man. And talk about unmet expectations, right? If you've ever um, expected God to do one thing and he does a totally different thing that doesn't meet your desires, your wishes, your hopes, your dreams, friends, you are in good company with the people of Jericho because they're experiencing what you've experienced. But even in the midst of that experience, and even in the midst of all the ways that we get tangled up with systems of injustice, people like Zacchaeus, the good news is that Jesus seeks us out. He stays with us right in the middle of our mess. He saves us and liberates us and reconciles us to God and to each other, reconnecting communities by simply taking the next step of faith. Friends, Jesus is coming to our house today. Let's make room for him as he challenges our expectations and works salvation among us. 
So Jesus is there with Zacchaeus right in the middle of the mess that he's made of his own life. And something remarkable happens. Now, it's not a healing per se. It's not a multiplication of food, but it's a miracle nonetheless. A heart is changed. And so Zacchaeus declares, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times. I'll pay back four times. What's happening here is that Zacchaeus is responding to Jesus in a way that he, he understands something about the kingdom of God that is connected with his responsibility to his community. Leslie Newbegin, who's a famous missiologist, he spent like 40 years in India, and he was from the UK, came home, started writing books about what God was doing around the world. And he, he says it this way, someone who's given his life to evangelizing people, to, to telling people about the good news of Jesus, he says this, it is disastrous misunderstanding to think that we can enjoy salvation through Jesus and at the same time regard action for justice in the world as a sort of optional extra. As an optional extra. Anyone who thinks of salvation apart from seeking deliverance from sickness or hunger or oppression or alienation is very remote from the biblical use of the word. See, Zacchaeus realizes that salvation isn't this private thing that he can obtain by praying the right prayer in his own little heart, his wee little heart. Salvation, it involves material solidarity with his community, with those that he has defrauded. It involves what he does with the wealth that he has and who it really belongs to. I, I was... Um, one of the people that was a mentor to me in college when I first came to faith in Jesus came to faith in Jesus himself in college. And um, he was telling me a story one time about his conversion and, and like his early days of being a Christian. And he said, one of the things that I deeply felt like, so he had lived a few years in college, like as not a Christian, partying and spending a lot of time with a lot of people. And he, and at that point in time, I think I, I had thought about my relationship with God as solely as something like between me and Jesus, like this vertical thing that had like very little implication for the way that I lived with other people. And he said, one of the things that I felt deeply convicted of after I came to faith in Jesus is that I needed to go around to all the women that I had misogynized and apologize to them and ask for their forgiveness. And I was like, holy crap, like things are getting real. You did that? I was like, so I was like, well, how, how, many, how many are we talking, you know? And he's like, it was more than 10. I was like, well, how, how did you feel like doing that? He's like, I was humiliated, as you would be. But I realized that my relationship with God meant that I needed to treat everyone with dignity and honor. And I hadn't done that. And so I, that was part of my salvation process. He said, and as humbling as it was, every time I went and talked to another woman, I felt myself getting saved deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's what we see Zacchaeus doing. He is taking hold of the life that is truly life by giving up his life in the ways that he had secured it before today.
He understands that it involves his responsibility to promote the common good in his community. This isn't about Zacchaeus doing some sort of personal piety trick. He's not performing virtuous actions so that he'll, you know, look good before God or before other people. He's doing these things because he's enlarging the circle of his consideration to include the poor now. He realizes that he is bound to them and they are bound to him. His salvation is one and the same with his community's flourishing. And so he releases the stolen wealth towards that end because it no longer belongs to him alone. See, his repentance here is an act of reparations that forges a new embodied solidarity with those that he's exploited and harmed. This is what salvation looks like. Zacchaeus has heard the good news and has responded with a concrete step of faith. Now, you might, you might hear that step of faith from Zacchaeus and be like, half your wealth? <laughs> like, what? Are you serious? Four times what you took from people? Like, what kind of, you know, what kind of savings is that going to leave for your kids? That's what I would think. Are you going to have to sell your house to do all that? Like, what is this going to require of you? It seems like a big step, doesn't it? But, I mean, put it in perspective, like, it's half as much as what Jesus told the rich young ruler to give away just a few chapters earlier. So we have to put it in perspective there. But it's, I, don't, I, I don't think it's about how much Zacchaeus gives. I think what we're seeing here is Zacchaeus is responding to the good news of Jesus by doing the very first thing that occurs to him. Jesus doesn't suggest an amount. It's an amount that Zacchaeus himself comes up with. What if I do this? And Jesus goes, well, if you did that, it'd be great. It'd be wonderful to, see, to do that. That smells like salvation to me because you're responding in a way that demonstrates embodied trust in me. And maybe there'll be more tomorrow. We don't know. Maybe Zacchaeus will have to give up being a tax collector. Maybe he'll have to give up more of his wealth tomorrow. Maybe he'll have to turn his home into a haven for the poor. We don't know what the road of faith looks like for him. All we know is that today, his response is appropriate. And Jesus honors it. He says, you're engaging with the good news. You're responding to it with trust. And so he says... Not just to Zacchaeus, but now in the third person to everyone in the community. Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. This man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, I think it's third person because Jesus is now bringing, he's including these townspeople into the conversation again. Those that are upset and grumbling because they hated Zacchaeus, he's now turning his attention towards them and saying, look at what he's doing. I didn't multiply fishes and loaves to feed you directly, but I have released God's wealth back into the community in ways that you can choose to receive again. And so will you forgive this man? Will you receive him? Will you be reconciled to him? This is a hard pill to swallow for those that have been exploited. Isn't it? If you, I mean, if you've been on the receiving end of having your, your life's work taken advantage of like this, it is not a hard, an easy word. 
But Zacchaeus here, even though his response is imperfect and it's partial, like we don't see him dismantling Rome's whole system of taxation in one day. Rome wasn't taken down in a day. Is that how the saying goes? No, no. It took 300 years for the kingdom of God to get its hooks into the, to the kingdom of Rome. So he hasn't, he hasn't dismantled all of these systems, but he's responded by taking a step of faith, as limited as, as it may be, and that's enough for Jesus. That's enough for him. And this shows that Zacchaeus too is a child of Abraham. Uh, you remember Abraham is no paragon of virtue himself, right? I mean, he messed up all the time. But what did he do? He responded in simple faith to God when God brought about a way of salvation for him. Go to a land that you haven't been to before. See, the faith isn't, it's not intellectual assent to an idea. Oh yes, I believe that I should give up half my wealth. And No, it's, it's responding to God in practical steps of trust. Just like the father of faith does. And so Zacchaeus ends up, like so many in Luke's Gospel, a social outcast that Jesus centers so that everyone can learn about the kingdom of God. Here again is an outsider who teaches us what it means to belong to God and to each other. Right? He just looks a little different than the rest of the outcasts. At the beginning of this short story, Zacchaeus is on a quest to seek Jesus, but at the end we discover that Jesus has been seeking Zacchaeus the whole time. Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were lost. And so brothers and sisters, we're very much like Zacchaeus. We're caught up in systems that exploit, that we can't easily disentangle from. But the good news is that no matter how deep our complicity goes, we're never outside of the reach of God's grace. We can always respond by simply taking the next step of faith. An imperfect step, but any step is good enough no matter how small it might seem to us. I'm often guilty of letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. I want to do things perfectly. I want to do them right the first time. I don't want to learn through failure. I get all that. But if, if, if that had to be the case, then Zacchaeus is stuck. Jesus accepts the good. And he'll work the perfect in us over time, right? Because it's his process in us, not our process alone. You know, there's several places throughout Scripture that talk about this idea. Isaiah 1, verse 18, where the prophet says, Come now, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be white as snow. If they were red as crimson, they will become like wool. God's like, I'm not, I'm not expecting you to clean every stain out of your life. But let's settle this once and for all. Just come to me, turn to me, and I'll forgive you, and then I'll clean you. I'll make it good. Psalm 32, verse 3 to 6. I love the way the, the Common English Bible puts it. It says, When I kept quiet, my bones wore out. I was groaning all day long because your hand was heavy upon me. So I admitted my sin to you. I didn't conceal my guilt. I'll confess my sins to the Lord, is what I said. Then you remove the guilt of my sin. That's why all the faithful should pray to you during troubled times. 
See, the, the psalmist rejoices. Like, I, I confessed to God and He was gracious to me. What was I so afraid of before? What was I so afraid of? Beloved, no matter how compromised we think we are, there is grace all the way down, all the way through. The good news that we proclaim today is that in the midst of our tragic entanglements with all the injustice that we see in the world today, brothers and sisters, Jesus seeks us out in the midst of that mess and He stays with us and saves us. He liberates us and He reconciles us to God and to each other. He reconnects us back into our communities as we find solidarity with those that we once maybe even exploited just through simple acts of faith. Jesus is coming to our house today, church. So let's make room for him to work salvation among us. Amen? So what kind of predicament do you find yourself in today? Where are you aware of these seemingly unresolvable entanglements with injustice? Where do you feel compromised or complicit? Maybe you work for a company that makes morally dubious decisions. Maybe you're aware that the only clothes that you can afford are inexpensive because they're made by exploiting the poor in far-off lands. Maybe you're earning money from a 401k that invests in industries that are destroying the planet or engaging in war profiteering. Maybe you enjoy engaging in social media. You like being on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. But you realize that by doing so, you're selling your data to line the pockets of billionaires. Maybe you're a responsible gun owner, but your conscience eats away at you every time there's one more school shooting like the one we saw this week. For me, I was, uh, there are several ways that I feel like I'm complicit in systems of injustice. One of them is the fact that like, as a church, the songs that we sing, are we get to sing them because we pay money into something called CCLI, which gives the licensing for all the songs that we sing. But then that licensing goes and pays the people that wrote and produced those songs. It's, it's, it's a good system. I'm not critiquing the system. But many of the churches that get paid through CCLI have engaged in gross leadership negligence and abuse. They've been responsible for incredible acts against women and children. And I'm like, what do, you, what do I do about that? Like, do we have to start writing all of our own music? <laughs> Like, is there any way out of the Christian worship complex and those that make money through it? Those that have a vested interest in not allowing those stories to come to light because they make money through it? Like, it eats me up. It eats me up that we, you know, give money to a cooperative program and the, the um, executive committee that benefits from that giving has continuously fumbled abuse allegations for 20 plus years. It drives me crazy and I'm so sick of it. But I feel like I'm caught in a system. I don't know how to do church apart from these things. So I, I feel complicit too. I feel compromised as well. I feel like Zacchaeus. And I think many of us can. If we start to think about our place in, in society, we realize that 
that we are perpetuating systems by participating in them, but we're also victims of them because we can't see any other way to put food on the table. We can't see any other way to be a church, any other way to live in 2023, apart from our jobs and apart from uh, our, our social media accounts and apart from these big systems, apart from the NRA. And we don't like to think about these things. I get it. I don't like to think about these things either. Because they seem like enormous problems, don't they? Enormous problems. That, that we're powerless to do anything about it. So, so we're told, like, if we can't do anything about these big problems, then I'll just focus on my little personal piety. I'll just try to read my Bible more and pray a little bit more and, and I don't give up chocolate for Lent. But friends, the path of salvation is this. It is to reckon with where we are complicit. It is to learn to be at home in God's kingdom by learning to look at the ways that we participate. And then it's just taking one simple step of faith. Whatever occurs to us, like Zacchaeus, whatever occurs to us in the moment that seems like embodied trust in God that reconciles us back to our neighbor and makes us one again, that's all that's required in this moment is to open the door and let Jesus come into the mess. Will you do that? Will you do that? To name that mess in Jesus' presence and to be open to whatever next step Jesus reveals is the path of salvation before you. That's all. That's all that's required. There's grace for you all the way down. And I don't know what that step will be for you. I don't even know what it is for me. But I trust, I trust the good news that's available to us today. That right in the midst of our tragic entanglements to these things, brothers and sisters, right here and right now, Jesus seeks us out. He stays with us. Doesn't leave us. And He saves us. He stands ready to liberate us from these things and to reconcile us to God and each other as we take the next step of simple faith. Jesus is coming to our house today, church. Let's make room. Let's make room for him to work salvation among us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you see us as beloved, first and foremost, above all, that though our sins may be as scarlet, you stand ready to settle it to make them white as snow. There's nothing that we can't present to you, nothing that we can't look at, nothing that we can't grapple with or reckon with because we do so from a place of belovedness, belonging, security, all the way through. And so God, would you, would you open our eyes to the ways that we're both victimized and victimizers, ways that you want to come to our house today to save us, to make us new, to reconcile us to our neighbor. God, these things are too big for us. And so would you reveal just the first step of salvation, just one area where we can say yes to trust in you. And God, would you give us the confidence through the Spirit and through the encouragement of our brothers and sisters here to follow it through. We ask these things not just for ourselves, but for this world that you are making new. In Jesus' name, amen.